0: Welcome to the very first episode of Learning with Young Leaders. For this very special episode, we have a very special guest, Cheng Hing. Ching Hing is an astute entrepreneur who currently runs two successful businesses, Hello Holo and Ascension Studios. Since the founding of Hello Holo in 2016, Ching Hing has grown the company to include multiple business areas of consultancy and content creation, serving the likes of A Star, DSTA, and PWC. In this episode, He talks about how he flourished in such a nascent mixed reality space, why knowing your inner drive is important, and some important tips for aspiring entrepreneurs to take note of. Through this podcast, we hope you can pick up actionable tips that will help you in your own personal journey. To support us, do give us a five-star review and leave your comments on what else you'd like to hear. Without further ado, let's hear the advice Cheng Heng has for us. Welcome to the show, Ching Hing. Really excited to have you on the show to share your experiences. I remember speaking to you back at your office the other day, right? Yeah. I think it was cool. a few months back. But I, was, I was like, when I went there, I was like, first of all, that place was pretty interesting because it was an apartment slash office space, right?
1: Yeah. It's a bit residential.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing I noticed was there were like super lot of stuff inside. I was like, wow, cool. wow how big of a business are you running, right? Then... Yeah, so for people who don't know, you are running not just one business, but two business side-by-side, side, right? Ascension and Hello Holo.
1: Yes. How about you tell are. us a bit more about them? Sure. For us, we actually started back in 2016. I started off this company called Ascension Studios LLP uh, in 2016 of March. And why I actually set up this company was to actually be able to do some contracts with my clients. So back then, I was just a freelancer um, doing certain um, work of web development, et cetera, for my clients. But in the end, there was this client that required us to have a legal entity. And that's why I decided to go ahead and register uh, register my Accra for it. That was back in March 2016 itself. And then after that, we continued using the name, being able to develop applications for our various clients, managing their databases. And yeah, interestingly, for that name itself, uh, it came about because of our Polytechnic use case, uh, where we actually did this technopreneurship module in Neon Poly Business IT. Oh, okay. Uh, where we're giving six months to actually do anything we want. Uh, so that was how the actual name came about, uh, the Ascension. Uh, then, after that, in August 2016, we actually uh, came up with this uh, entire Hello Holo team itself. And we didn't actually in- uh, integrate any uh, Accra entity for it or anything. So we were just parking it as one of our mixed reality of Ascension Studios until just recently this year in January where we actually decided to have a spin-off itself Mm. and break apart the two companies so that it can be more distinct as well.
0: But how how did that transition come about? Why did you decide to move from Ascension into like the mixed reality space?
1: I mean, one of the key things when I first uh, started off, right, I was approaching a lot of incubators, sharing them my ideas, etc. But they'll be always asking me about that particular unique selling point itself. And there really isn't any unique selling point about a typical web development company. I mean, all you're doing is just services and pretty much you're doing the exact same thing as what other people have mm. been doing. Out there. But that's also a good thing. I mean, it has been a validated business model mm. and you can definitely get that. But I decided to continue going uh, that direction. Uh, I started service companies. Uh, I was able to get a pie from the market itself. Keep me going. Became my rice bowl. But after a while, I realized that in order for us to grow, we need a unique selling point, which is true. So therefore... I decided to look around for a niche. Just nice at that point of time itself, I was very inculcated within the Microsoft Student Partners uh, group. So mm-hmm. I knew quite a bit of uh, students uh, across different polytechnics, across different universities that were very, very interested in the Microsoft uh, technology stack. And that's also how I got to know my co-founder. We're actually running uh, the entire student partner team uh, locally in uh, Singapore. HoloLens was just launching in US. So he yeah, was asking, do you want to actually invest in a device and like just bring it in? Uh, and we can do a rental for people. Mm. So our plan was like, since one device is $4,000, we just want to rent it out 40 times, uh, times $100 each. And then after we break even, and we're done. Mm. And so that uh, was our plan. Then on the date of his ordering, because uh, it was actually quite difficult to actually get even a slot to actually make that order. Mm-hmm. And when he was uh, trying to do an order that time, he realized that one person can actually buy two devices. And he was like, hey, we are able to buy two devices. You want to just buy one more? Uh, okay, sure. Then... After that, we had two devices, $8,000 sink into the entire thing, and no idea what we were supposed to do. And we went ahead to actually start to rent it out to the people that were agreed to actually get a rental uh, beforehand. So we actually mm. did our own market. We were sending out invites, getting people to promise us that they'll be renting it. Ultimately, we got like 30, 40 people to uh, promise, but in the end, only like 10 people rented it. So there was oh. still that, that <laughs> okay. we did to rent out or we did manage to cover. So we were like, oh no, what happens? Uh, and then we decided to come up with our revenue streams. So our first ever engagement was to actually teach in NYP. Uh, so he was an NYP uh, alumni. He went there, he taught an advanced diploma, uh, shared with them exactly what, this whole lens, etc. Uh, and then after that, it uh, started to group. We started to share with people that, hey, we have this device. If you are interested, you can come and meet us. We can give mm. you a demo, etc. And through that, uh, there were people that engaged us with certain projects, wanted to do some proof of concepts. So we realized that, hey, there's a, pretty much a business model behind it and we decided to come out with the revenue streams that you see today. Mm. So doing a bespoke solution for a client based on a business problem and use case. We do device rentals. We help people acquire the device as well. I mean, these devices are overseas in US and Australia. You can't really bring it into Singapore that easily. And there's a lot of red flags. Here, but pretty much uh, MNC actually go out and try and acquire the devices. Mm. So we did that locally for them. Uh, local startup helping them ship everything in. Everything is based off us all the responsibilities is on us and they pretty much have a worry-free acquisition process. So that's why a lot of companies like to approach us to do that. And we also do our training, general training, developer training. And yeah, that's pretty much how the entire company started and we decided to continue on for almost four years. So
0: you essentially stumbled upon the opportunity and basically seized it at the the right time. Yeah, so then... You are running this business alongside your studies now, right? And you're managing both sides. How do you manage that kind of workload?
1: Yes, I'm actually in SMU currently. I just finished my year two in information systems. It's difficult, I would say. At first, when I started off everything, I was like, hey, no problem. I can juggle uni and I can juggle a startup at the same time. Um, I was so wrong. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's not that it's not doable, but definitely there will be sacrifices. You probably won't get a lot of time to study. And if you do get a lot of time to study, means you don't have any time for sleep as well. Effectively, I'm doing both full time study as well as full time um, work. Most of the time during lessons, don't tell my lecturers, but I do. So just um, <laughs> yeah. yes, during a lecture time, then after that, in between uh, lectures or in between lessons itself, I'll be going out, running around, meeting clients. And Once I'm done with school, my office is very right near uh, SMU itself, so I just take a bus, go back to the office, and then start work uh, from there again. Uh, usually, this. I repeat on a daily basis until about nine or ten then after that if I'm feeling stressed or anything I'll actually go uh, to a bar, play darts, etc and that's how I end off the night but for me I, I believe there's more of a work life balance for me I try not to work at all on Saturday and Sunday okay. so I think that's how uh, I kept my sanity for the past uh, two years
0: but i mean in the in the infancy of your start do you have to set- i mean I'm sure you had to work on weekends as well or was it only oh, yeah, I
1: mean- I work everywhere I go. Uh, When I went out with friends, I carried my laptop around. Uh, I was answering emails as I was walking, going around here and there. Yeah, literally, I was just working everywhere I went for the first two years. And I think that was pretty much going to be the case for all startup founders, where we don't know uh, how much time and we don't know how to actually uh, differentiate between um, work and we don't know how to differentiate between uh, leisure. So we kind of like mix both of them together. But I think now, uh, having been inside this entrepreneurship space for more than uh, four years itself, I think I can kind of understand uh, the importance of work-life balance and really uh, be able to differentiate work and uh, our personal lives mm. and make sure that it doesn't uh, collide with each other. So, I think it's really something that you have to discover along the way uh, and you'll be able to actually find the importance um, of uh, being able to tell your clients, no, hey, it's a weekend, hey, it's 1am, mm. I'll be working for you at this hour. I serve clients at 3 a.m., I serve clients at 4 a.m., staying up with them all the way just to rush one of their projects and we still get paid the same. So because of that, uh, I would say that entrepreneurs out there is really hustling uh, and it's really uh, admirable for a lot of them uh, to be pushing through in this line. Okay. Were were there any points in time
0: where you sort of experienced like a super bad burnout where you just like crashed (laughs) or anything?
1: Yeah, I face this burnout at least every two months, at least once. Definitely. Really, it's the kind whereby... You just refuse to do any work for the entire day. You just sleep the entire day and just don't want to think about anything. You really hit those stages and you really ask yourself, uh, what are you actually doing? The monetary uh, benefits behind it really make sense. I could pretty much be spending these exact same hours or even two times lesser hours in a particular company and earn what, three or four times even more. Mm. So it really depends on how you're looking at this and that thing. If this is something that you like, uh, you probably will grow to hate it. So it really depends on what's your working style and what's your environment that you want to be in. First two years is not going to be easy, um, but the moment you have things are uh, set out there, the moment things that that's why a lot of people are pushing things into what is it scalable, mm. uh, sustainable, etc. The moment you hit a scalable stage, that the moment you hit a sustainable stage, that's where things are going to be a lot easier for you to handle, and you probably can try and I would say get other people to actually help you, uh, juggle the task. That doesn't mean to ask you to slack off, uh, but that also means that give you some brief, give you some breathing room. Uh, mm. So that you are not able to be so stressed out as well. How and do you really
0: manage those emotions? Like, what do you tell yourself each time you burn out? Is there a, like a secret formula or anything?
1: Uh, <laughs> I guess um, kind of not really. To me, whenever I started this, I always had the vision that I didn't want to work under anybody. Mm. I wanted that flexibility. I wanted to be able to travel whenever I have to or whenever I want to. I can literally like, for example, on a Thursday, I say, hey. I'm born in Singapore, I want to travel overseas, I can do that. And I don't have like any work obligations or anything. Mm. So I think that was the be your own boss my mentality itself. And usually how I actually like persuade myself, if this is something I really want, uh, I will really look back and think about it. Yes, if I'm in a particular job, I'll be spending uh, nine to five in a particular place, waiting for the clock to strike until five o'clock and just go home and bunk up. But this is not something I want. Uh, I want the harder that I work, more uh, profits that I actually earn. Mm. But that being said, if I slack off, I don't earn anything, I'm okay with it. I mean, I deserve it, right? Simply because I don't have that that effort nah, placed inside. Mm. So I think that is one of the key things I keep reminding myself. That yes, the grass seems to be greener on the other side. But ultimately, um, I chose this path. And I would say at the start of the entire thing, I w- had always been a person that gave up halfway. And over here, I decided to drop every single thing else except the company. Mm. So um, back then, I was doing Dragon Book Coaching. I was doing side projects. I was doing a lot of things. So, I decided to just anchor down on one particular thing and make sure that I don't give up uh, halfway. And I think that's one of the key reasons that I kept going without stopping at all. Mm.
0: So, you also mentioned that your Halo Holo is in the midst of expansion currently, is it? Yes. Into the Asian so, market? Um,
1: yes, correct. So, for Hello Holo itself, um, I mean, it's something that we have built for four years uh, as a service oriented company. No, it's not scalable. Service-oriented companies are never, ever scalable. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to start to scale things up and be able to pretty much create our own products and be able to uh, push it out to other people. So it has always been something that we have been working on, trying to get Microsoft partnership, trying to get a few other things here and there. Now, I think this year, uh, we actually saw, an, I would say, an opportunity to really uh, step out within the market itself, expand into places like Hong Kong, Thailand, Malaysia, Australia, etc., and really be able to set up a sales office there and start to engage people over there. I mean, each of these countries that I mentioned hasn't had any of these exposures yet. And therefore, I see the market opportunity. Mm. Uh, a good thing about this uh, field in Singapore is that there are a lot of government grants helping us, uh, a lot of innovation uh, items that's helping us. So I would say that other countries definitely do have them. So I think this is one of the key reasons why we decided to expand and also maybe even finding investors to actually start to grow the company accordingly as well. Mm. So yeah, that's really about how we are growing this year. But at which point in time do you decide
0: that it's time to scale up? So do you hit a certain milestone where you just sort of felt like the company could go, could
1: go a lot bigger? I mean, definitely I can see my year-on-year year, uh, year year numbers. And with my year-on-year year numbers, I can see usually we grow 300% per year. Last year was not as great for us because we are building some of our revenue streams itself. Mm. It's still all right. But I would say that the growth dropped from 300% itself. Uh, maybe about 200% or 180% growth itself. But because of that, I think I realized that within Singapore market itself is slowing down, mm. very limited market within Singapore. And we even had inquiries coming in from Thailand, Hong Kong, et cetera. So I mean, why not? Since other people can actually come and find us, how about we bring our services over there and start to approach other people there as well? So I think that's one of the key reasons why we decided to expand. Mm. And why we decided to move away from the service thing, service line, it has always been something that has always been bugging the entire team over here in HelloHolo as well. Services business has never been something that was sustainable. We had to literally deal with clients every single day, mm. start to build things that were not really scalable in a sense. I couldn't like easily bring this uh, application out to like 10, 20000 people. These applications were always proprietary to a particular client. So because of that, I think uh, that's why we realized that there's a particular product line that we actually want to focus on, be it in learning, be it in BIM, uh, etc., And we saw uh, certain relations with Microsoft coming up as well. So that's also one of the key reasons why we decided to, hey, I think it's time we have to build a product team. We have to start scaling in that particular direction. Uh, It's time to actually see if there's any investors who are interested in this Mm. space. We have a proven track record. Back then, we didn't need any investors because we're a service company. Um, We're just recycling whatever that we um, actually earn from a particular sale itself. Mm-hmm. So by then now, in order to build that team, in order to actually drive for the uh, larger numbers, drive for a larger market itself, I believe we need an investor in to really come in, give us a line of credit, give us um, the exposure and give us their context as well. Yeah, so I think that's also one of the reasons why we decided uh, that it's, this year is the correct time to mm-hmm. actually do that. But I mean, you're playing
0: in a very niche space, right? And it's relatively new. I mean, I don't think a lot of people know about mixed reality, right? And you were one of the first ones in. How did you managed to gain the required expertise to do well in this space. Like, do you have mentors or do you like just have people you look for or is it everything
1: self-taught? Nope, we didn't have any mentors per se. Uh, like what you mentioned, the entire space was extremely new. When we first came in, there were people already in VR and AR, but there was nobody in MR at all. Mm. Why is it because simply MR was something that's very restricted and it's within the HoloLens device only back then when it first ever launched. But of course, nowadays we see more new devices, things like uh, RealWear, things like uh, Magic Leap, things like Unreal, et cetera. But then back then when we first started off, there was nobody that we can follow. There was no proven business model. There was no track record, et cetera. We weren't in the VR, AR line as well. So we had to do things very, very differently. Lucky for me, my co-founder is extremely technical uh, savvy. Uh, He's probably one of the top tech people uh, that I've known. He's an IMDA scholar, et cetera. So I think with that itself, he supported the tech team quite a bit. We had two people that were shadowing us, So one to shadow me in the business side, one to shadow him on the tech side. So in the case that any of us left, there was somebody to actually take over. So that being said, uh, he trained his uh, shadow pretty well. So when he actually had to leave for his uh, university studies, there was already an entire funnel there, or there was already somebody to actually take over and really help uh, propel the entire company. And I think I was very lucky at the time is that within his field of study itself, he was under game development. Mm. not many people know but immersive media is effectively you're only looking for game developers game designers etc you're pretty much developing in 3D and that's why a lot of polys nowadays right you realise that instead of just calling it 3D game development 3D game design etc they're just lumping everything up into immersive media um, Mm. diploma and that's also one of the reasons how we actually manage to find people NYP was extremely good source of talent and yes. that's also 70% of where our entire talent pool comes from as well. But now we have people like in Nian, people like in IT um, starting to um get into these tracks as well. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one of the key reasons why we managed to actually have the talent pool inside. And there wasn't hardly any competitors outside there, especially in like India, etc. There weren't many people doing this, simply mm. because there's a hardware investment and there's a barrier of entry. Okay. So because of that, we are lucky. And I would say that it's a very unique few. Uh, that this managed should succeed. It won't pretty much work in any other field or uh, this particular strategy. Mm, so you talk about like the importance of your team, right? So
0: um, as your team grew, did, man- did your leadership style change or how do you manage such a big team? Are, I think you have more than 20, how, how many how yeah. big
1: is your team now? We have about 26 people now. Okay. So it's really a huge team. We started off at just four people, and these four people were just part-timers. Literally, we were balancing school, we were balancing work at the same time, we were going out to meet clients, etc. And we never had the intention to do this full-time, etc. Mm. Uh, then after that, I believe it was like 2017-2018, we decided to, uh, hey, it's time to maybe get some full-timers on board, starting to actually get uh, things moving. So our first ever hire was like some um, artists. And within artists, not artist side of things. We even got an office. We started off at Woodlands uh, in the industrial area. It was in the middle of nowhere and literally <laughs> when I was there, I was literally connected to data roaming in Malaysia. So yeah, so because of that, I would say that it was humble beginnings and when we started off, the people that we were managing were, as a small team, were still easy to manage because it was very easy to actually convey the ideas. Hmm. But as hmm. the time grew itself, we grew up to 10 packs to 12 packs. We started to have to tell this uh, story to everybody within the team and start to manage expectations. We had no processes in place. We had no standard operating procedures. Uh, We had no communication channels. Uh, Everything was either through me or through my co-founder. So we were stumbling. Uh, We had issues with projects. Information was lost uh, over the communication itself. Some of our items were not highlighted. There was no scrum meetings. There was no daily tasking. People were not working, etc. There was no task being passed from one person to another. Mm. A lot Mm. of such issues. But I think even now, we still have those issues here and there, but definitely um, improving along the way. Uh, we have a centralized place for uh, storage of our art assets. We have a storage uh, for our business uh, projects itself. We have communication channels up. We have scrum workflows up. And now with this uh, entire COVID situation, uh, work from home was pretty smooth for us. Okay. Uh, that transition. Okay. Uh, why? is because we always uh, had already been giving our staff the opportunity to work from home already. Mm. So I would say the mm. processes were extremely important, but was something that we didn't have any knowledge of. And we pretty much stumble and discover that particular use case accordingly. We had people leaving uh, because of the processes. But I would say that majority of them, 80%, 90%, see us trying and try to stay on board uh, and see how this thing goes across the next week. Okay.
0: Do you have anything else that you want to share?
1: I mean, one thing that I really want to share with entrepreneurs out there uh, that I've always been talking to people is that I do have people asking me like how I started up, uh, how I began my company. And this is something that I want to share with all the entrepreneurs out there is that an idea that you have is not really worth anything until you really execute it. Mm. Um, and one of the key problems that I see in a lot of entrepreneurs, they have an amazing idea that they believe in, um, but they refuse to share this idea with other people. And honestly, if you don't share it with other people, people don't validate our idea. Um, essentially, it's only within their own bubble. And when you start to go out there to do product testing, to do checking of the market itself, some people might not even agree with the idea itself. Mm. So because of that, it doesn't mean that whatever you see in the market means that you cannot do it anymore, but you should be very, very happy that whatever that you have done, whatever that you are thinking of, whatever they are planning is already in the market because it shows that uh, it's a viable idea and uh, it's something that can gain market share.
0: Mm. And
1: if it's not something in the market, you should be very, very worried that this is something that is not viable in the market. So I think that's a common misconception a lot of entrepreneurs have. And uh, this is something that I like to share with them that they should they shouldn't like for example invest too much into a particular application. Mm. They shouldn't go there uh, to invest your time in the system. Hey, in order to do this uh, entire startup idea, I need to build a system. I need to build a mobile app. Blah, blah blah blah. I think it's not the way to do it. You can easily simulate the entire thing through Excel spreadsheets, uh, mm. Word documents. Do up the process flow first, and if you have your process flow up, and you want to improve on the platform, no issues but you should never ever start it as a platform-based uh, item first uh, and you don't even secure any clients and you want to already sink in that amount. So I think that's one of the key things that I really want to uh, share as experience um, to whoever who's interested or intending to start up.
0: Mm. So, so what is one thing you feel like you learned throughout this journey that you think would benefit them the most?
1: Get a mentor. <laughs> Get a mentor. Somebody okay. who is able to really share with you brutal, blunt, truths. Uh, in this area, and this mentor should be somebody who has been in this uh field itself. Uh, should be as uh relatable to you. I'm not just saying any kind of mentor. I mean, a mentorship is really a, a two way street, right? It's not really just a one way, or you expect to learn from somebody yep. as right? that's it. But no, pretty much a person that is a mentor is also somebody who is learning from you as well, uh, Wi-Fi experiences that you have. So if there was something that I would have done differently is I would really have went out there to look for a mentor. But mm-hmm. that being said, I have no idea what I wanted. So I pretty much couldn't really find that particular mentor as well. Okay. Uh, but really go out there, expose yourself, put yourself in different communities, talk to people about your idea itself and be open to this kind of criticism. Uh, but always take things with a pinch of, pinch of salt itself. Trust mm. um, in yourself, in whatever that you do, mentoring is good and you should really listen to what other people have uh, been through. If I knew that the company uh, processes were needed, etc., I would have started them much earlier. Mm. These are all the things that uh, I think you need to have foresight, and you need to have been there in order to actually know uh, what are the next steps, uh, and also to prepare yourself. Okay, so do you think age
0: plays a factor? Like, does being young give you any advantages or disadvantages?
1: Actually, yes, young does give you your advantage and disadvantage. Um, disadvantage if you're young and you look uh you look too young. Okay, that's <laughs> okay. Too young. People won't take you seriously. All right. And uh, honestly, if you look at me, um, I look like a super 30 year old or uh, etc. And because of that, uh, I think people uh, trust that I've experienced itself. And it's just from that uh, feeling that, hey, I'm talking to a person 30 plus or something like that. But then whenever I share with them my age, that's when they're actually, huh, you are 20 plus, wait, what? So I think that uh, the pleasant shock itself does give people that uh, advantage as well. And it also shows that, hey, um, it doesn't really matter about the age itself, proven your track record. So ultimately, it's really about don't ever use your age as a, uh, I would say, as a weapon itself, whether it's something good or bad. Start off with your product, start off with your pitch itself. And if they really ask about your age, ask about that, it's going to be either a pleasant surprise or etc. So I think that's uh, where you can use it as an age and where you can use it as a benefit. But beyond that, usually it doesn't really help out much.
0: Yeah. Okay, I think I will just end off with one last question, right? Which is, what does success look like to you?
1: What does success look like to me? Success to me, I would say, is financial freedom. Uh, really being able uh, to be off any financial burdens itself and really having everything set in stone uh, in the terms of, be it, I would say, passive income, or mm. I can leave this startup to somebody and don't even worry about it and only come in and advise if I want to like, push things ahead, etc. I think that's, to me, that's uh, success and really being able to find um, time for myself and be able to invest into myself. I think one of the key reasons why I started so early is that I always believe that if I start early, means I can earn, end early as well. Mm. And I'd rather end early and be able to travel, be able to do things that I like and be able to spend time on whatever that I want to, rather than being ordered by on a daily basis. Hey, what if I get fired tomorrow? Hey, what if I don't earn enough tomorrow? Etc. And really, it doesn't make sense for us to be working 24-7 our whole life itself, especially when life is so short, right? Mm. So, I think that's one of the key reasons uh, how I want to uh, retire early and be able to do things that I want to do uh, rather than yeah, just working my whole life off. Mm. Okay. Yep.
0: So, I think that's pretty much the end of the podcast. We, it's, been really, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. And I believe you have the course that is up for people to attend, right? If people are more interested to learn about the MR um,
1: space. Yeah. So we do have this thing called Mixed Reality Developer Course. It's something that was actually accredited by both IMDA as well as TESA. It's a four-time, four-hour lesson. Uh, Lesson one, effectively, we train you to become what we call immersive media consultants, Mm. being able to choose the correct VR, AR, MR uh, solution for a particular use case. Lesson two, three, four, you have never written your first line of code uh, always want to learn coding. This is where you get your chance. You get to use C sharp. You get to use Unity. You get to use Visual Studio, and pretty much be able to create your first immersive media application. And why we find that uh useful is because ultimately mixed reality is not just a uh, uh industry on its own. Mixed reality is a platform, and this platform can be bring out across into brought out across into places like architecture, engineering, manufacturing, retail, mm. training, and it's really in all spaces. And that's a key thing that's very, very different from all the other emerging tech. AI is alone, ML is alone, but really mixed reality is a platform whereby you're going to be putting AI, you're going to be putting ML on top of mixed reality itself in order to deliver this kind of value to your clients. So this is one of the key why we uh, get people to come on board this area and really be able to write quotes that make sense and write codes that you can actually deliver as a solution or as a project. Yep. Yep. So that's one. Okay.
0: (laughs) I'll be including the links in the show notes so if anybody wants, they can go and check it out. But yeah, thank you a lot for your time and hope to see you again soon.
1: Yep, thank you very much, Marcus.
0: Appreciate it. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Learning with Young Leaders. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show and visit SacconiOriginal.com slash podcast for more resources based on today's topic. That's dot com slash podcast until next time stay curious keep learning